0: Join us in the dustiest corners of the video store, the back row of the grindhouse, the furthest regions of celluloid. This is Video Store
1: Welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the feminist films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about a 1975 masterpiece by the one and only Jack Hill, one of the greatest cult film directors of all time, uh, and that is Switchblade Sisters, also known as the Jezebels. My name is Luke and I'm joined by Leland.
2: Listeners, I I have nothing half clever to say this time around, so we're just gonna get to the point. As of this broadcast, you can find 1975's Switchblade Sisters on Amazon Prime for money. Just rent it for $2.50 and help fund Amazon's righteous crusade against the diabolical unions.
1: Like, Like last week's movie, I'm actually somewhat surprised and happy that this is an easy film to see now. Like I know arrow put out a DVD or Blu-ray, but this movie never got an official release on VHS in the United States until the late nineties. When Tarantino put it out, I have, um, I have a bootleg from the early nineties that's put out by Johnny legend and it's signed by Jack Hill. So that's pretty cool. Um, but it's not an official release. So despite um the likelihood I come off as a corporate shill, um, I like that Amazon makes movies like this available. So this was your first time watching, right? Yes, and yours too, right? Oh, no, I've seen this film many times. Oh, OK. Yes, this is this is a favorite of mine. And I, I like all of Jack Hill's films. Um. So he was writer-director here. Uh, He's probably most famous for coffee, but he also did Foxy Brown. Uh, He did a couple women-in-prison movies, The Big Birdcage and... What was the other one called? Um, The Big Birdcage and The Big Dollhouse. And he also did this really wonderful horror movie uh, with Sid Haig,
2: Spider Baby. Have you seen any of these films? A lot of the names are familiar, I feel like we may have seen Spider-Baby like forever ago.
1: It's a cool, like really offbeat black and white film about a family that like there's implications of incest and in that like a baby has developed a, you know, craving for flesh that that's like a sickness that runs through the family. I don't know, it's, it's it's interesting. It's It's offbeat enough to be somewhat comedic in a dark way. But still, clearly a horror film. Jack Hill started as um, working for Roger Corman. Um, he made The Terror and Bloodbath, and I think a couple other movies for um, Corman. He he filmed some um, some U.S. scenes that were inserted into foreign films uh, for Corman. But then, of course, he graduated and started doing his own exploitation films. And despite the fact that he's like a white guy, I think he does a pretty good job of making films that empower black people in like coffee and women in movies like this. Was that your read on it? Like, does this feel empowering to women or exploitive of women?
2: I thought this film was going to be way more exploitive, but I don't think exploitation's the right word for all the traumatic shit that happens in this film. Yeah, I mean, what would you call it? I don't know. I don't I don't know if I'd call it necessarily empowering until... Well, and let me... Okay, so I guess if your definition of empowering is just like taking control of, of the reins of destiny for yourself, then yes, I, I suppose this is a very empowering film. But um, I would say the motives for most of the characters in this film are less than ethical i mean almost everybody's engaged in a legal activity um murder and rape are rampant throughout uh, just about the entire runtime of the film that there's a massive body count for what is essentially like street king violence with high schoolers <laughs> with high schoolers <laughs> um obviously all of them are played by adults but high schoolers
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that, but that's what makes me love this movie. And that's what makes it fitting for this podcast, um, because we're depraved people, I guess. Um, But but yeah, I mean, we could debate like different waves and interpretations of feminism, but we won't go there. Suffice it to say, this is a film that has women take charge of the story. Um, And in that sense, it was pretty unique, I think, for the time it came out.
2: I mean, on one hand, a lot of horrible stuff happens to women in this film, but I think a lot of horrible stuff happens to everybody in this film. I don't think anybody's necessarily discriminated against.
1: Uh, no, certainly not. Um, but if you look across all of Jack Hill's movies, I mean, the majority of them... Followed this kind of plot where women are taking power from men or women are rising up and overthrowing men or women are getting revenge on men like it. it, Women are always the the protagonists, and it's always a strong woman like Pam Greer. I I like that. I like the way he uh, shows off like tough femininity. I think it's fun. So let's let's cover the basic setup of this movie and, and a couple of the actresses here. So who I guess is our main character, um, whose name is Maggie, is played by Joanne Nail. Um, I don't really know her from anything else. She wasn't in a ton of movies. It, was she recognizable to you?
2: No. You know, I, I was really looking to see if I recognized anybody from this film. And no, I didn't I did not recognize anybody as far as I could tell.
1: Yeah, no, I don't know anyone from anyone else either, but I think they all do a pretty good job. And the fact that I don't know them from anyone else, like I like that it makes this movie stand out as more original and authentic to me.
2: Um, It does. But on the other hand, it's just kind of sad that they didn't have like more prolific careers that we could see them in more stuff. Yeah.
1: So the the woman who plays uh Patch, Monica Gale, she was in quite a bit of stuff. Um, she had a pretty long career, and uh she most certainly inspired the Daryl Hannah character in Kill Bill. So she had a long entertainment
2: life of sorts. Yeah, I mean anybody who's like familiar with Tarantino's um portfolio of work knows that he pulls a lot is um inspired by a lot of older films that um, up until his i guess um uh, eventual like proliferation of them were basically never seen by most people Right. Like I every now and then I do see. Well, I used to see things on shelves that would say like, you know, presented by Quentin Tarantino. And it's this old ass film. That, yeah, this like, this is one of those. Release, and this is one of those. Yeah, those Rolling Thunder Pictures, I
1: think, was the name of his distribution company. But I think he put this out in theaters and everything in the late 90s. I did not see it until later, um, until I was going through Jack Hill movies and had never seen this one uh, but the other main character is Lace who's played by Robbie Lee and Robbie Lee was mainly in voice work after this um in things like the Smurfs and uh Rainbow Bright Rainbow Bright yeah I'm um, looking on IMDb it looks like
2: she played a bunch of characters on Rainbow Bright Okay so like I didn't look up anybody before this film and uh-huh. Afterwards, I did want to see what else she had been in or what any of these actors had been in. See if, you know, have I seen something else with them? And as soon as I saw that she was in like, you know, Rainbow Bright and like other similar 80s cartoons, I was like, oh, my God, it's so obvious. She has the perfect voice for it. Yeah. But it's just so weird that to see somebody with uh from a movie this man probably be saying this word a lot brutal um going into like children's films but i suppose that was probably the point of her being casted in that role in the first place um she looks the youngest and i think her character
1: benefits somewhat from looking naive and innocent although she's not
2: i feel like we've had this discussion before but you know there's this um you know, prevailing stereotype in modern society. Although I suppose it's further kind of uh, going away where women cannot be violent, right? Physically, Um, you know, women are always like, if if they're going to be aggressive, it's always like backstabbery or poison or... Gossip, you know, you talk behind each other's backs about someone till they develop uh, an eating disorder or something, you know, something along those lines. But, you know, I I do really appreciate films like this because uh, I'm not really one to really believe in, in typical gender roles. I feel like a lot of negative attributes that are said about one are often found in the other anyway. And, uh, you know, I feel like this is a great actual representation to see a woman just stab somebody else for no other reason than spite. Uh,
1: Agreed. I mean, we see the backstabbing, uh, subterfuge type of uh, bitchery in this film as well. But uh, we get both. And, um, you know, this this movie creates, like, the vibe everything about this movie is utterly absurd, right? Um, the The level of violence and brutality and gang organization among all of these adults playing high schoolers um, it doesn't feel real at all, but there's an, an internal logic to the movie where I feel like everything's consistent and it kind of builds its own fantasy world. Um, and in that world... Of violence seems to be not only justified, but the only uh, response to any encroachment on your territory or your people.
2: The whole idea of like the child super predator was really pushed in the '90s, but this movie came out in you know 1975. Was juvenile delinquency? a huge issue like a national issue at the time was this movie really playing off some sort of public fear in order to like sell tickets i mean
1: i think there was a romanticization of gangs and you saw that in stuff like west side story um but i also think that there was a growing concern that the youth were being corrupted or the youth were, uh, you know, not following their parents values, but that's every generation to a degree. Uh, but I do like on the back of the VHS I have, it describes switch switchblade sisters as the teeny bopper clockwork orange. Which, <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, it says the tenny blo- the tenny bopper, but I assume that's a typo. Hmm. One more actress I want to mention, um, who also had a career in youth uh, or children's work, um, Janice Carmen plays Bunny. She was one of the creators
2: and voices for Alvin and the Chipmunks. So when if you watch this on Amazon Prime, you know you got like the little function where you can uh, pause the film and it shows the, like all the headshots of the actors and actresses that are in the film, and you click them and you can get like a little little short blurb almost yeah. every single actress in this film was totally objectified in their like description their descriptive paragraph except for her where they were just like hey she wrote halvin and the chipmunks and some other cartoon stuff and that was it
1: yeah i mean i guess i can i guess amazon objectifying these women in the description kind of matches with the era in the film um
2: like i don't know know where it pulls that information i doubt they have like one like a or i should say like a team of of nerds that like cram all this shit out and they they have to be pulling it from somewhere like if it is being pulled from say like imdb maybe their publicists are actually advertising them this way and this is what they want Mm. i don't know
1: i don't know because some of them aren't even alive anymore so
2: yeah, I think the actor that played Dominic died in 2021. I did see that he apparently starred in some action films across from uh, Wings Hauser. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it'd be anything we'd cover here, but something I, to take note of.
1: I, I think the actress who played Mom
2: is also dead. She is the, the prison warden. You know, for maybe five minutes of screen time, she was one of the most memorable characters in the film oh i think she's incredibly memorable
1: all right let's play the trailer and then we'll talk about the story
0: meet the toughest gang of teenage girls ever to slash their way across a motion picture screen didn't want them their teachers were scared of them even the cops couldn't tame them switchblade sisters are the young rebels fighting for survival in a decaying society or are they just teenage hoodlums taking advantage of their youth they can't hold us we're juveniles (laughs) first you'll meet lace she's as affectionate as a scorpion with all the loving tenderness of a buzzsaw okay you want me out you're going to have to You got knocked off, right? Big deal! If you go, it's going to turn out bad. She'd rather kill her man than lose them. <laughs> then there's Maggie, Lace's best friend, a shapely young bundle of female dynamite. And Lace's man live the fuse. Oh! You're a chicken. Say it! You'll also meet the girl who used her young body to earn the nickname of Bunny. Now a little something to uh, relax the nerve. And it's only five bucks. God. Come on, Superman. And then there's the one they just called Patch. I lost my eye for this gang, remember? We used to be tough. They also yeah. call her the Smiling Cobra. Shameless. impudent woman! The Switchblade Sisters. You'll laugh with them. You'll love with them. Maggie? What's going on in there? Maggie? You got a boy oh. in there? But don't try to fight with them. Ah! go <coughs> oh, away Remember, I want him a lot. Two teenage wildcats, both hung up on the same guy. One of them had to go the hard way. Meet the teenage girl gang even the cops were scared of. Switchblade Sisters is a story of today and maybe a little bit of tomorrow.
2: So what the fuck is that trailer? <laughs> they introduce like four characters and talk about them. I like it. Uh, I mean, it's different. It's a lot different than than what we're used to. Uh, however, tons of spoilers in there um, for for those who are actually watching the the video. So I would I would save I would save it until after the film. Well, hopefully, hopefully a lot of people already
1: know and love this movie, although it's not. It's not nearly as well known as some of Jack Hill's other films, and it totally should be.
2: I mean, I, I wasn't really familiar with Jack Hill as a director by name, although, I again, I have heard of his other stuff. But I have never heard of this film until you mentioned it a couple weeks ago.
1: Well, you were saying before the trailer that Mom is a pretty memorable character. So let's start with her.
2: Um what what was memorable about her You, you don't really see this stereotype in earlier films right
1: i think you do during uh like in these women in prison movies but it's not portrayed quite as as comically like usually it's a really menacing like horrible evil uh you know Butch lesbian rapist uh, stereotype, um, but here it's almost
2: like Goofy. Well, sorry, I am woefully unfamiliar with the uh, prison, wait, wait, women in prison exploitation <laughs> genre. Like, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm a little rusty on that stuff. And now there's um, a whole genre. <laughs> but I would say this is a good. This is a good point to say that. Even though a lot of the characters in this film have very uh, blatant particular quirks, everybody seems pretty believable. Like these are all real characters. Even the side uh, plot pieces are are all very memorable in their own little ways. But there... although none as much as Mom. Let's just throw that out there they're
1: they're all archetypes but they're fully fleshed out archetypes who like transcend their archetype and become you know full f- they become fully believable characters but they're still not realistic really
2: i mean it's it's within the world of this film they make sense i don't know i can believe some of this stuff i mean yeah. of course it's it's it is ramped up a little bit to to the point of um I mean I would say like the like you were saying the setting in general is ramped up the plot points are ramped up to unbelievability but like the single characters and the personality quirks uh, I think are very possible All right I can agree with that Yeah I mean especially when you get to the finale of this film it's so fucking over the top like there's there's no way um it, it would shit would ever get that real <laughs> like at all but um i'm sure we'll get to that um eventually so mom mom right um you know obviously a shitty person but like you're saying doesn't come off as cartoonishly evil and that was really powerful um if you've ever been in the criminal justice system and have met like the people who abuse that kind of power and position and privilege i mean she kind of kind of fits it but also seeing you know um especially an older woman be like ultra sexually aggressive towards um i guess really anybody is just something you don't see in a lot of cinema outside of of course apparently freaking women's prison films
1: oh and i mean i agree with all of that but with all that said like we're still dealing with an offensive stereotype in a way here. At least that's my read on it. Um, but just like all the other stereotypes, it she does seem like a fleshed out character. And I, what I really like is how... All right, backing up. So she does not lay a hand on any of the dagger dabs, the the gang, the girl gang that we're dealing with. But Maggie is new and she says she's not a member. And that means that there's no reprisal if mom takes advantage of her, but Maggie's not having that. So mom gets her guards to help shove Maggie's head down the toilet and prepare to, uh, well, she puts on a rubber glove, I guess, to do some penetration.
2: Um, They're doing a strip search for some, uh, I think it was like amphetamines that were lifted from the pharmacy room before uh, they were all put into the cells. But
1: but mom describes it as, I'm going to search inside.
2: Oh, yeah. In in the
1: the most sleazy way possible.
2: Yeah, the language used is uh, very aggressive.
1: Yeah, so... the. At this point, like the other girls have had enough. They're, they're, I think they respect the fact that Maggie's standing up to mom and they claim Maggie and she sort of becomes part of the gang and they, they all beat up mom and tell her that they're going to get her, I think her niece who's on the outside if she, if she tries to come down on any of them
2: oh it wasn't the niece it was a girlfriend oh girlfriend okay yeah i think think it was a prostitute i
1: could oh yeah you're right you're right i had forgotten that anyway what did you think of this whole setup of the characters like this is really where we're being introduced to the dynamic and
2: who everybody is so we have that opening diner scene before all this and i think maggie's introduction is a little too inconvenient or a little too ups wow is a little too convenient overall but i'm willing to put up with it for the end product here she's kind of just introduced as the new girl in town that that just moved in and somehow she knows how to fight and be street smart and take care of herself yet uh i don't know i feel it feels um it feels like she doesn't have that much of a backstory or enough of a backstory to justify where she is at the start of the film. All we all really right, so- get about her is later on in the film, when we're introduced to like the <laughs> that like black socialist gang, um, apparently we find out that her previous boyfriend was a part of them before he was killed in a police shootout. And that's yeah. about all the history we get.
1: Yeah, so I, th- we may be getting our head of ourselves here, but I want to establish this now. Like, do you think we are supposed to like and identify with and root for Maggie or are we supposed to be suspicious of her and think that she's like nefarious and trying to
2: do some sort of subterfuge? This is one of those films and i feel like we watch a bunch of these where most of the characters are not really meant to be likable Uh, maggie is is supposed to be like the life preserver amidst this like ocean of distrust and and disgust and although there is a um you know a lot of mystery in the beginning because of the lack of a fleshed out backstory i really think she's mostly there for a viewing audience to latch on to as someone to to root for because everyone else is just like a fucking felon
1: (laughs) yeah see she she is set up as our protagonist and at first she seems to be presented as like the most innocent character um not innocent in like a naive way but innocent as in she hasn't killed anybody Um, But then we find out little tidbits throughout the film that suggest she has a much darker, more violent past that it's just not revealing to us. And that makes me suspicious of her. And that's a weird thing to feel for your protagonist. It creates a weird dynamic in this movie to me. I like it, but it's just not like any other dynamic I can think of.
2: It is a little inconsistent, right? Like, there's a lot of parts in this movie where she is, like, an absolute fucking barbarian and takes care of shit. And then there's other parts where the script sort of demands her to be in, like, a helpless um, like victim role. That's why I think she's, like, playing a role. Like,
1: like, for example, there's a scene where Dominic rapes her. Um, But she doesn't seem that put off by it. Like she tells him at one point afterwards that she does like him. um, And it seems to be insinuated. Like he says something like, well, you asked for it, didn't you? And you got yours, didn't you? And there's the major part of me is like, uh, yeah, you're, Gaslighting her after you raped her like you're an asshole and then another part of me is like what if this is part of Maggie's master plan like what if she's trying to wrestle Dominic away from lace and that's because I don't feel like I can fully trust her I don't know if I'm explaining this clearly or not you are
2: I I just uh, okay so I mean I've only watched this film once but I think that might be looking into the script a little too hard. But to in your defense, there is a lot of dupl- like duplicity fronts that are put on by other characters. Um, like specifically uh, Lace, who has about like three different roles, maybe four different roles that she's cycling through, um, depending on who she's communicating with.
1: I do think part of the reason I kind of distrust Maggie is that I really identify with and gravitate towards Lace. Like, I actually think she's a much more interesting character.
2: Lace is a more interesting character. Um, that's, is this the time where we argue who, who is the real main character, Maggie or Lace? I mean, I think
1: that the movie wants it to be Maggie. But as a viewer, I identify more with Lace.
2: Yeah, I, I think Lace is definitely the, the character you want to focus on. You're not really rooting for her. You just sort of feel sorry that she's making all of the wrong decisions in every possible in every possible situation.
1: Yeah, and that's partly because she's being manipulated by Patch, right? Who who is her best friend and sort of second in command. Do you think that Patch
2: sees Lace romantically i considered that but the script doesn't really um elaborate on it so i wasn't sure obviously patch is jealous that lace is showing interest in maggie whether it's you know um just cordial professionalism or uh friendship or romantic but like there's nothing that indicates lace has any sort of interest in maggie like like romantically and that doesn't mean patch can't see that no pun intended because she only has one eye um but uh i i just kind of think she was afraid of losing influence in the gang i think that i think i just worked that out (laughs) as i was talking about it i think because think about it this way think about patch's character arc right like you're saying she. I don't know if she was necessarily second in command, but she had Lace's ear. She was the left hand woman, right? And by the end of the film, she, she doesn't get killed. She doesn't. Her ultimate punishment, or her karma punishment, is just being completely removed from the gang altogether. They refuse to acknowledge that she is a part of the Switchblade Sisters. And because of that, it's almost worse than death. She doesn't even get taken to prison. The fucking cops ignore her. I she know. Might it's, is, it's, it's worse than death. You are forgotten.
1: It's And it's a testament to, to Monica Gale, the actress. And Robbie Lee, who plays Lace, is fantastic, beyond fantastic as well. But Monica Gale actually makes Patch... Like every moment I can see what her motivation is. I can see what her thoughts and feelings are. And I can really become attached to her as a character, even if I don't like her necessarily. Um, But it makes me feel for her at the end because we realize just what kind of pain that she's in. Like we understand her character that well that we, we can sympathize with her emotional
2: state. I think this is just one of those instances where both the performances and the screenplay, the stars aligned on both of them. And it's led to a really great viewing experience. Yeah,
1: so there's a lot of talk about how Jack Hill and James Cameron were friends while they were working for Roger Corman. And James Cameron went on to direct, you know, Um, Titanic and, uh, Avatar and aliens and all these like huge budget quote unquote classics. Um, and then Jack Hill went on to make movies like this, like exploitation movies, but I actually think Jack Hill is the better writer. (laughs) I think he writes really good screenplays. So he wrote the screenplay and directed this yeah i mean there's a couple other writers as well
2: um but he's one of them i mean yeah this this the the subject matter here and the scenes within are absolutely heinous but it's all beautifully written and constructed and put together
1: yeah so let's let's talk about that for a little bit what did you think was the most like difficult thing here to take Like, what was the most upsetting?
2: Like, I think the most upsetting is just, like, the amount of, like, sexual battery that's in this film. We have the scene where Maggie is uh, forced upon by Dominic, which you know it's going to happen. There's, like, buildup. There's all these buildups to what's happening. But then there's the scene where... uh, the about halfway through the film we are introduced to um the the major plot development where the switchblade sisters and their um what the hell's dominic's gang, gang called again they're called the silver
1: daggers and the girl gang is right. the
2: the dagger debs the dagger
1: debs what an awful name <laughs> yeah it's terrible but see maggie's a good pr person cuz she turns that shit over to the jezebels as fast as she can
2: <laughs> anyway um so there's this um there's this like struggle for territory between the the silver daggers and um a Rival gang who's forced onto their school property due to (laughs) education foreclosures. (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's a wonderful scene where the principal comes to Dominic and he's like, I just want to make sure that this is okay with you, that Krabs gets half the student unions. And it's like this. the, The principal is submitting to Dominic and what they're bargaining over. Or fighting over is the student union. So anyway, (laughs)
2: um, obviously you you can't have two rival gangs in a in an area for very long before shit goes down. So the gang for Mister Krabs ends up shooting Dominic's brother and abducting what I'm assuming is one of the one of the Dagger Debs, who's uh, doubling as a prostitute, and they just. I
1: think it's the, the brother's girlfriend.
2: Is that who it is? Yeah, I uh, think it's
1: the brother's girlfriend.
2: So they drag her into the van and assault her. And I'm assuming eventually just dump her out somewhere for them to find. Like that is just like suddenly violent outside of those scenes. I would say it's, you know, we've we've seen enough stuff like this before where, you know, it's not really disturbing. But I think those were the two most uncomfortable parts of the film. But I, I just kind of falls into the theme of of this, or the the feel of this of this world that they want to show to the audiences that it's just so unforgiving. Violence is just like a natural part of this like forsaken urban. <laughs> do you, what do you call this childhood? He, yeah. So, so with that said, because I agree
1: i can't bring myself to take this movie seriously enough to like feel the pain of some of these things or as if the movie was more serious they would be really painful to me and so i'm wondering how problematic that is like whether the movie is in a way making light of things
2: like rape so the trailer we watched was definitely advertised as any other exploitation film would be pushed but i don't feel like that is really shown or encouraged in the film itself like when you're saying that the principal is the one who is submissive to the gangs in his school i can see that actually happening maybe not in today's world as much but in the 70s with less infrastructure, sure, I could totally see it happening. Um, would it be um, as comical necessarily where he's uh, submitting himself in front of the entire gang in like the school common grounds, like try- <laughs> sharing cigarettes? Probably not. But um, I-, I think you can look past that and just see it as sort of, um, as sort of just like, a, a. you gotta remember this is a film, this is a movie, right? Like they're not going to try to make everything absolutely realistic. There's got to be some sort of stylistic, like creativity involved.
1: No, but see, I feel about this movie and Jack Hill movies in general. Um, although coffee, it gets a little more emotional. I think that's mainly because of Pam Greer's acting, but, um, Overall, I I just can't bring his – take his films seriously. I see them as happening in an artifice, like a fantasy world, just like John Waters' characters are in a fantasy world or – Uh, What Tarantino's actors are in a fantasy world like these are idiosyncratic fantasy worlds dreamt up by their directors and it's hard to take things that happen in them seriously even if I find them immensely entertaining and that's kind of how I feel about all the awful shit in this movie is like yeah theoretically that's really really fucking terrible but in the context of this movie
2: it's kind of ridiculous I don't have, I'm not going to call it an issue, but I did not have that issue watching this film. I totally see where you're coming from, though. But for me, you can have a completely bizarre fantasy world and still have meaningful discussions or portrayals or any kind of like interactions involving the human condition that still have the same effect as if he were trying to make something like, you know, the first two seasons of the wire, which like strive for, um, ultra realism. Yeah, no, I,
1: I agree with that. I I just think the tone here is it's odd. It's really unique, which is part of why I love this movie is it's like, the characters are real enough and conflicted enough and their, their struggles and themes interesting enough that we can really like dive in and psychoanalyze them. But at the same time, they seem like archetypal, uh, parodies of real people. Like they seem like it seems like a dark comedy. And I, I love the way those two things interact. like, crabs is is horrible he's he's a horrible immoral violent person um but he's also like completely ridiculous (laughs) right like he's a comedic figure
2: i love the line where crabs and dominic meet for the first time on the school property and dominic's like man aren't you getting a little too old for school (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) And that, that I just kind of like this idea that there's some sort of like fucked up capitalist entrepreneur who is intentionally getting himself left behind in high school to keep up a like a social position in the city to push his to push his drugs.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> Krabs responds, "You can never get too much education," which I really like. Um, but Krabs is probably he looks about forty, right? Yeah, and uh, he's a high school student, but he's also the leader of a rival gang that cover that that Moonlights as a like social activist nonprofit, and they take grant money that they get from the city. And he says at one point, like, oh, I have a meeting with the mayor right now. And uh, they take this money and then they invest it in their drug, their drug ring. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> it's almost like a John Waters scenario
2: and how ridiculous it is. <laughs> they they lure meaty kids to their like fucking free potluck that they give out to the needy. And then they push drugs on them and get them hooked to keep coming back.
1: Uh-huh. And oh when my God. when when the uh when the dagger devs and the silver daggers want to like get revenge for the killing of Dominic's brother, the the place it goes down is a roller rink while everyone's skating. Like it's so childish. There's a
2: lot, oh, there's a lot of collateral damage in this film.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It, on the one hand, the roller rink scene is absurd because you have like this very childish setting and activity, uh but thirty to forty year old people firing um, assault rifles at one another while they skate around on the ice, killing people left and right it's uh It's a very interesting co- um juxtaposition. Did you say skating around on the ice? Oh, it's not ice, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. For some reason I was visualizing oh. ice skating in my head. But no, they're just rolling around on the rink, I guess.
2: No, I mean roller rinks were really popular in the the I uh, def- definitely in the eighties, but I was supposed maybe like mid seventies it would be like hip among like urban youth or like the cult, you know, urban culture youth.
1: Yeah, we talked in uh We talked in our
2: rollerblade. Yeah, we talked a lot about fucking rollerblades already.
1: Yeah, so So let's let's so let's let's move past that. Um, But during this scene, um, Dominic gets killed, and we skipped over this. But Lace set them up by going to Crabs in an attempt to get everyone to distrust Maggie so that she could exert her control over the gang and her and Dominic could be together because she wants to have his baby.
2: Okay, I think we can maybe summarize this this whole situation with a little bit more clarity, right? Yeah,
1: there's a so, lot of melodrama here, but but go ahead.
2: Okay, so the start of the movie, we have the established gang. Maggie becomes a part of that gang via um, almost like attrition. <laughs> dominic the leader of the silver daggers forces himself who's also laces boyfriend forces himself on maggie who she decides to keep that as a secret to herself probably because she doesn't want to jeopardize her um potential you know defensive barrier in this like harsh urban environment so it creates this really ...uneasy tension between Lace and Maggie, where Lace secretly believes that Maggie is trying to steal her man, and thus her position of the Dagger Debs. Lace is being gaslit the entire time by Patch who is jealous that Maggie might be trying to actually ruin her social standing. So basically, everybody's like secretly plotting against Maggie while she's trying to hold her own. And I would say on the surface, at least, do what's best for everybody. Although you feel like she has some crazy ulterior motives. This comes to a head where Lace finds out she's pregnant. And as you heard in the trailer, partly Dominic doesn't give a shit. Dominic's a shitty person like throughout this entire film. There's nothing redeeming about Dominic. He, I mean, throws, I guess you, he, th- he throws some money on her and says, you know what to do. You know what to do. She's like, I got a surprise for you. And that is probably <laughs> the, the worst reaction I have ever heard to a pregnancy announcement. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Dominic. He's that basically is like...
1: I don't need this shit right now. My kid brother's dying and I'm trying to keep control of my gang territory. And like, you go take care of it. But he says to call him Maybe, after.
2: The most positive outlook you can you can have on Dominic is that you can say he is just a product of his environment. He grew up having to survive on the streets, apparently without a father. His father died at some point, probably when he was too young. And he just survived as like a, you know, king of the jungle stereotype because that was the only way he could, he could live. And, you know, there's no room for compassion in a role like that. You have to be alpha male all the time or get overrun by other assholes who are vying for the same territory. But anyway, after he is killed at the skating rink, Like you were saying, from a setup that Lace secretly collaborates with Mr. Krabs to not kill Dominic, but actually kill Maggie. And of course, he takes advantage of the situation, being the extremely trustworthy person that he is and just takes out Dominic, his main competition instead. So then Lace has at this point a new objective, which is to not get caught and and by the rest of the gang for them to find out that she was actually you know meeting with the enemy collaborate collaborating with the enemy
1: there's one scene i want to talk about which is after that roller rink scene lace gets kicked in the stomach repeatedly and she ends up losing her baby and so the other girls go to visit her in the hospital and it's like she's kind she's trying to brush it off and act like it's no big deal and she's like oh yeah could you imagine me like it being a housewife and taking care of kids and all that and uh but you can tell that she's really like devastated and upset it's a
2: really good acting like she's it's a really
1: good performance
2: not only is it a great performance but this is a really complex portrayal because like i was saying before you know, she puts on like four different personas depending on who she's talking to. And she's telling the gang, hey, you know, Dominic was, me and Dominic were waiting to tell y'all about the pregnancy and he was gonna propose to me and we were gonna like make a big deal out of it. And, you know, we here as the audience are the only ones that know the truth that Dominic had absolutely no (laughs) plans whatsoever. To, to go along with this. Yeah.
1: And, and you can tell that like, at least for my read, Lace is on the one hand actually relieved because there's a part of her that thinks, yeah, of course I didn't want to be a mother. And then there's a part of her that actually believes what she's saying that, Dom was going to propose to her and they were going to live happily ever after. And like, she's lost the chance. And then there's part of her that is like, how do I keep up a front so that these other girls continue to see me as powerful? It's like, she's got all these different motivations going into that scene.
2: It's this like script complexity that really makes me um, like really like this film.
1: When when Patch figures out that Lace is the one that sold them out to Krabs, and she figures out like immediately. Um Well, that's
2: because Lace tells her <laughs> in a fit right. of like delirium.
1: <laughs> right. But um Patch like guesses it as they're talking. Yeah. Um but I Patch is really interesting too because she doesn't seem pissed at all. She seems like like she sees an opportunity to gain power here
2: like i think she also recognizes that she might be drawn into this plot because of her closeness to lace yeah i so i don't know a little bit of self-preservation here
1: i don't know if you know this but this movie was supposed to be loosely based on othello but with all female characters Huh. All right. And I don't know if you're familiar with Othello, but um Patch is supposed to be the the adaptation of um Iago, who is the like behind the scenes manipulator in Othello. And so I think we're supposed to see Patch, and I think this comes across as really I think she sincerely likes lace and maybe even is in love with her but she also enjoys her ability to manipulate somebody
2: and like sort of indirectly wield power just for the sake of manipulation yeah yeah and again going back to um lisa here her interactions with dominic are a perfect representation of an absolutely dysfunctional abusive relationship yep where no matter what dominic what kind of harm dominic would cause lace would just completely disregard it let's talk about the uh
1: the other gang that we haven't really touched on because after the roller rink uh, maggie goes to see this black gang who's led by a character named muff who I think you mentioned earlier, Maggie used to go out with her brother, which the idea of an interracial love story at the center of this movie is pretty radical for the time
2: period. Um, There were a few movies that touched that, but not many. They talk about it, but they don't show anything. So maybe that was about as far as they could go. Right. I almost wonder if it's there to
1: like, sort of normalize that, or if it's there to intentionally offend and push buttons.
2: Does that does that gang ever get a name? I mean, I think it's kind of alluded that it's supposed to be, like, a Black Panther sect, but Black Panthers were never, like, you know, one gender or the other.
1: Well, I think that they're a gang. I don't think their name is ever revealed, but they definitely have a, like, Black Power marxist socialist ben like they don't like crabs either and at one point muff's like deputy says um she says that they don't like crabs because he's a capitalist and a drug dealer and that political power rolls out of the barrel of a gun that's science
2: but they don't teach it in the schools They don't teach it in the schools, but they will when we run them, I think was the follow up. (laughs) 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 This this gang
1: reminds me of the the black gorilla group in network. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, because I haven't seen it. Oh, man, you've got to see. I know.
2: I know. I know. I know.
1: I'll go on record network. One of the five best movies of all time. Like amazing film. Not not within the purview of our podcast, but um this is very reminiscent of that of that group.
2: Um This gang is a little convenient for as a plot point, but I'm I'm willing to just accept it. The fact that they are willing to, to go in on Mr. Krabs' territory just because he's like a hyper capitalist. I can I can buy it he he that's how
1: he's played as like a a sleazy hyper capitalist
2: whereas the silver daggers and the jezebels kind of feel like uh like a patchwork gang that's just like barely managing to make a presence like the these people got their shit together they are housed in an abandoned police precinct they have enough weapons for like a a small revolutionary army they have a firing range so they actually teach the jezebels how to fire rifles they just have access to all these resources that that nobody else seems to have well i mean Krabs has has some weapons but th- not enough for as the small army that's about to descend upon them yeah there's one point where I think that's that, when when you're talking about Um, When you're talking about unbelievability from earlier, I think this is really where um, a lot of it stems from. It's like, where are all these people getting their resources? Even for like the the dagger Debs and the silver daggers, like before they even break up, they're in like some fucking warehouse with like furniture and utilities and food and shit. But like, how are they making all of that? Like, how are are they able to hold on to all this stuff? That's where it's not really realistic. (laughs) I think it's just sheer violence. Like, even
1: the, uh, they clearly control the school. And even the diner, the, uh, owner is like, could you all please pay today? Like, I, I really need the <laughs> money for today. the taxes. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's clear that he's used to serving them for nothing. Like, that is their terror. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the very end. So, Maggie and Lace finally get. In like a knife fight, and Maggie ends up coming out on top. And I really like the way they show it. They show it like in a, uh, in silhouette. We see like the shadow of a knife
2: go through, Patch's throat or Lace's throat. We completely skipped over, what was probably the most ridiculous part of the film, the the real finale, where. This revolutionary army, combined with the power of the Jezebel—well, oh, fuck that—the reverse that one. The Jezebels, combined with the full force of a revolutionary urban army, descend upon Mister Krabs and just utterly obliterate him in a war zone fight <laughs> in the yeah. middle of, of of an American like street in the Projects. Um, I guess this is predates Projects, but you know what I mean. Uh, is absolute bloodbath like third parties going down, cars are crashing, lace blows up a, a fucking food truck. Um Mr. Fingers, the the second command Mr. Crab gets run over <laughs> and like pinned to a <laughs> building and crushed to death. Yeah. Um the, the special effects here are actually really well done as far as like, you know, they got like the the bullets like hitting off uh walls and like chunks flying out from from like ricochets it all looks really good um the gunplay itself is very unrealistic but it's hollywood so fucking deal with it um jack jack, absolutely hill, jack hill knew how to shoot action scenes like yeah for i think sure. he does a really um, good job it, and like there's even a fucking cadillac built up like a fucking tank <laughs> yeah like, like an like armored car with a turret <laughs> like she, gunning people down like it's it's intense um it's really that that is the most ridiculous part of the film and then after all of that lace and and patch do not want mr crab to spill the beans that he was in cahoots with lace so they kill him in front of maggie before she has the chance to get the the confirmation that she needs but at the same time lace could have just pulled the trigger and wasted maggie at any point and she doesn't.
1: No, I How don't do you think L- that be. Lace clearly likes Maggie. Like, I don't know, again, if it's, I don't know if it's a romantic attraction or if it's just the feeling that like, this could be my one close friend or like, I really trusted this girl. I, I think to some degree it's respect where she thinks like Maggie's the only one that's as badass as she is. And um, I don't think she wants to kill her.
2: Either way, um, because she does not die in the end of this firefight and everyone leaves as the police start to show up. Not that they could fucking do anything. What what the hell are you supposed to do against an army full, with military grade rifles, and you're showing up in like a bunch of squad cars with revolvers? Again, that armored car. <laughs> <laughs> they end up getting into like uh, this dispute over who in front of the gang over who was the one that was actually setting up, who actually set up Dominic to get killed. And that leads to this knife fight. Um, Really, I can't think of a more poetic way for this film to end, right? Where we have both of our main characters, you know, fighting for supremacy. Um, Just like the rest of the script, I think it's really well balanced the the death is not necess- the, the the knife fighting is definitely very uh drawn out and extra <laughs> there's like all this unnecessary throwing of furniture and like blocks and tosses and all that shit i but, thought uh, like
1: this is well, actually really... how two clever not that
2: physically strong people would fight like they'd reach for yeah, whatever they is... could this is the kind of choreography though where you have like someone who can just clearly stab the other person but we can't have the fight in so soon so instead they just like kick him or something it's oh, one yeah. of those fights it's the rules but it's fine it's, the movie. So yeah. it's okay yeah it's okay it's okay Um, what we don't know or what we know, but they don't at the time is that the police are actually outside because, hey, it turns out when you turn a city into a war zone, the police are finally like, fuck this shit. We're going to do our jobs. But they wait outside until one of them kills the other. So they'll have a reason to bring him in for murder. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Which, uh, honestly, I could see it. I could see that happening.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't find that (laughs) disbelievable at all or unbelievable
2: at all. I, so, so once um, the, the thing that really struck me about this scene is after it's all done. And like you said, Maggie is victorious over lace. Um, the police barge in. They ostracize Patch. She is no longer in the gang. She doesn't even get carted to, to jail like the rest of them. But there is this crazed fucking look on Maggie's face with blood, her own blood, I'm assuming, dripping down her face as she is telling the police, you know, you can lock me up, but I am going to get out, and if I see you pigs on my territory again, I will blast your ass. I I think she said something like that. I will blow your asses away. The crazed animalistic eye either a shows her complete transformation into like the the super predator we were talking about earlier or perhaps her real persona the whole time it finally cracked and this is who she really was i think it's the latter i think
1: that's her real persona and that's why i think she's so like i think a lot of what comes off as naivete earlier in the movie is really deviousness
2: I would say that's probably the the best defense for your theory of, of her being a secret, having secret plans the entire film, is that huge emotional reveal at the end.
1: It's it's wonderful acting. She looks genuinely, like, frightening and insane. Oh, yeah,
2: no, you would not want to be in a room alone with her.
1: Nope. Um, the, on my tape, there's an interview after the movie, and it's with Jack Hill... And then Maggie and Lace, um, but much later, like twenty years later, and uh, they both said that Hill gave them a lot of creative control, and basically said like they could do whatever they thought worked with the character, um, and they both said that that like they felt like they gave much better performances.
2: So there's one more character we need to talk about. We haven't even mentioned her a single time. Yeah. Yeah. Donut. <laughs> so Donut is not
1: a very significant character. Um, she's mainly there to be mocked and
2: picked on. I like how this. she's like 70s fat, and that's like... <laughs> like the average like american in their 30s today <laughs> yeah they give her a really hard
1: time for being like a piggy and being fat and uh she's really not what do you think like maybe 15 pounds overweight at the most <laughs> i mean i would like if this is her body type i don't even know if
2: she's really overweight no medically I, she would not be diagnosed with anything at all. So that actress, she's played by Kitty Bruce,
1: who is the daughter of Lenny Bruce, the famous stand-up comedian, um, who I'm not that familiar with. Like, that's way before my time, but I have heard his name. Um, She was only in two films, this one, and she was in Andy Warhol's Bad. But I think she's fun in this role. I mean, she's kind of just goofy, like comedic belief. But
2: even though she she is just comedic relief, I mean, not tasteful comedic relief, but, you know, still comedic relief. um, She still comes off as like a real character. I don't know how to explain it. She's easily like she's a really weak character.
1: She basically will say whatever you pressure her into saying. So in the last scene, she's like switching loyalties back and forth. Um, but I really like the scene in the diner where she asks lace if she can have a double <laughs> cheeseburger with bacon and a milkshake and, and, and coleslaw <laughs> yeah and uh, and lace for <laughs> lace kind of humiliates her and then she says you're getting nothing <laughs> you
2: understand <laughs> you're gonna watch the rest of us eat until we're full and then they make donuts Make piggy noises. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh. yeah. You know, Lace does not get off to a good start to being likable. I mean, almost nobody does in this film, but... No, I think she's really sympathetic for some reason, but... She's sympathetic later, but only because of absolute tragedy and, like, her shitty decision-making. Not necessarily... You don't necessarily like her. You're just like, oh... Yeah. Kind of like an aggressive dog that gets hit by a car.
1: Uh, I can see it. Yeah. Anyway, it's getting late. Let's get to final thoughts and a rating out
2: of four. So I finished this film maybe half an hour before we started recording. So it's pretty fresh in my mind. And I'm glad I got to talk it over with you. Because um, it really helped me like try to make up my mind about certain things. Um. i I think this is a great film uh i I, it's a hidden gem apparently like because it wasn't really um accessible until tarantino brought it brought it to the forefront in the 90s i say forefront like you know it's got mainstream attraction but at least he made it somewhat more accessible than it was and uh there's a lot going for this film even if you don't enjoy necessarily watching the film i i really think that watching cinema is about getting some kind of emotional reaction and i feel i really feel like this film is so visceral in just the right ways and the social situations that are portrayed between all of the characters that the interconnected like multi plots with um like various dynamics, how they all link together, like really make for a, a fantastic film, even if it might be painful to watch. Now, I mean, this isn't like this isn't like some sort of uh, like drama film, right? Where, like, where you're going to like cry at the end or whatever. It ain't like that. But there is just like a copious amount of of violence that should make you feel something. And then it's interlaced with these absolutely ridiculous scenes like the fucking gunfight in the city at the end. Um, I am still impressed by, and maybe it's because I was expecting something different, the complexity of the script in terms of dialogue and how the characters were reacting to each other on Against so many different levels. We, we didn't cover a lot of of side. Um, Let's just say side plots in this film. You really need to experience it yourself if you haven't seen it, um, but it does hold up very well. I think even for today's standards, this film holds up pretty well. The special effects, again, are good for the action scenes. The, the this guy obviously knows how to direct action films. You're not going to be bored. I don't think there's really much downtime It can be seen as problematic because there is, uh, you know, copious violence against women. But that's because half the cast are women and everybody basically has some shit happen to them. So it's at least spread around uh, relatively evenly. Um, I'm I'm really. I don't know if this I I wouldn't say this film is perfect. It it does have flaws, but um, I I, again, I had. I really enjoyed watching this film i'm gonna go with like man like a three 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 and a half stars maybe i don't know this film kind of hit something and, and but at the same time it's weird because i don't know if i necessarily experienced enjoyment watching this film but i did have a lot of different feelings and and that's really important i think that's really what the star rating is all about getting that getting it, 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 you ju- you're trying to judge the reaction that something's getting from you.
1: Yeah. I I agree with pretty much all of that. I love this movie. I love all of Jack Hill's movies. Even the, the bad ones like Sorceress are really entertaining. But this is, I think, my favorite. This and Coffee. And it's because they, there's all kinds of serious issues at play here. But they're put in the context of absurdity and of this sort of dark fantasy world um, of exploitation uh, archetypes thrown together. And it just hits all kinds of buttons for me that I can't fully articulate. Like, I think it's hysterically funny. I think the characters are really interesting to talk about and psychoanalyze to a degree. I think all of the... Uh, melodramatic plot points and conflicting character desires and arcs make it a really dynamic interesting experience it's action-packed it's full of wonderful one-liners and um good musical cuts and uh fight scenes and just badass women (laughs) beating up men and each other uh You know, if you think a 40-year-old drug pusher masquerading as a nonprofit uh, head who attends high school is funny, then, like, this is the movie for you. Um, I can – I'm really relieved that uh, Tarantino rescued it from obscurity, Um, although maybe it would have come to light eventually anyway. Uh, But I can see why he would, right? I I think that this is – You can see how a movie like this went on to influence people like Tarantino. um, And thus, even if it wasn't a success when it first came out, um, its influence, I think, has been long. So I I love this movie. This is four stars for me. All right. So we're going to do something sort of new. Um, Leland, I got a new Magic 8-Ball. Really? Really? I'm going to use it to predict or choose next week's movie for us. So I've put all uh, a bunch of titles of different VHS tapes I own into this eight ball. I'm going to run it and my digital uh, digital magician is going to spit out a title
2: for us. All right, we'll shake it up. All right.
1: All right, so next week we're doing the 1986 low budget, I think shot on video, uh film Night Ripper.
2: <laughs> uh God, how many things were in this eight ball? Uh we had a bunch. Yeah, I put everything on our
1: list. So Wow, that's a big ball. It's a big ass ball you got there. Yeah. Uh, I put like 50 titles in it. What, however many are in that list. Okay. Anyway, Night Ripper from 1986. Uh, I really like this movie. I, I can't really articulate why.
2: So I'm really curious what you think of it. It's been some time since we've, uh, you know, watched something or covered something that was shot on video. So I guess it's time. It's time to go back. Yeah. Was Creep the last one? No, it was Bob's um, uh, Blonde. uh blonde death i think oh, blonde death yeah yes i think blonde death was the last one
1: the uh one of the main characters of this movie is played by the soup nazi from seinfeld fantastic <laughs> yeah so um you won't like recognize him or anything it, it's it's not a similar character uh, but it is funny so this will be our second Seinfeld alum movie after we saw Uncle Leo in Blood and Lace. <laughs> oh,
2: man, that's a throwback.
1: Yeah, this is actually Night Ripper has become an incredibly expensive VHS tape now. I don't think it ever got a DVD release, though. So anyway, if, if you haven't seen it, you can see it on YouTube. Um, so everybody check out Night Ripper from 1986 if you haven't already and join us next week until then you can follow us on instagram at video.store.nightmares where i post everything that we do Uh, please wherever you listen to us rate review subscribe uh, help us get more listens now that we are back and hope to stay back for the foreseeable future um any last words leland thank you for your continued support Beautiful. And we will talk to you next week about Night Ripper exclamation point.